Hello and welcome to Let's Talk, the show that connects families in Ashgash with local experts to talk about your parenting questions. I'm Amanda Chavez here with my co-host Carlene Grabner, and today we're going to talk about dental and oral health with our guests, Dr. Michelle Wilm and Wilm Dental in Ashgash, and Jenna Linden from Children's Health Alliance of Wisconsin. Kids and their teeth can be a real adventure, from surviving teething babies to choosing a toothpaste to helping them feel comfortable in the dentist chair. There are lots of things for new parents to manage when it comes to dental health. I've been looking forward to insight and advice from Michelle and Jenna to share with you all. Thanks for joining us today, Michelle and Jenna. Michelle, I know you're from Oshkosh and went to Marquette School of Dentistry. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and all that good stuff? I grew up in Oshkosh, one of 16 kids. Graduated from Lourdes High School in 99 and then went to Winona State after that um, for undergrad. Went to Marquette School of Dentistry and we've got my husband and I have three children that we adopted all from Alabama. Wonderful. And I heard there's a fun fact about the Guinness Book of World Records. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Way back, I think, 2009, my siblings and I, we ran the Fox Cities Marathon. So set a Guinness Book of World Records for the most siblings to complete the same marathon. So all 16 of us ran it. Oh, wow. Yeah, and finished. Oh, wow. So. <laughs> well, that's a very fun fact. So, yeah. Love it. I think we still hold the record to this day. Oh, wow. Do you see all ages in your practice? We do, yeah. So starting really as early as one or six months after they get their first teeth to, I think we have some patients over 100. So. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And Jenna, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and all that good stuff? Sure. Well, thank you for having me today. I'm excited to be here. My name is Jenna Linden. I am a dental hygienist and I've been for 14 years so far. I grew up in Appleton, Wisconsin, and I went to the University of Minnesota for dental hygiene. My husband and I have four kids, four boys, so they're from ages 1 to 12. So we have a full and active house. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Wonderful. I work for the Children's Health Alliance of Wisconsin, which is a children's advocacy organization that's housed within our children's hospital. So we have several teams, one of them being Oral Health, which is the team I'm on, and we help to lead innovative projects across the state to increase access to dental care for kids. And then we also run and manage our Wisconsin Oral Health Coalition, which convenes oral health stakeholders and advocates to help increase access to dental care across the state for all ages. So you're in an advocacy role. Yes. And I've worked my entire career in public health. I've actually wanted to be a hygienist since I was a little girl, like around age 10 or 11. That was my mission. And it was, it was like a practical way to help people, which I love things like that. So that's why I decided on dental hygiene. And so once I saw the need that existed in dental, like through my schooling, they exposed us to lots of outreach where we would see need across the lifespan from babies to elderly. And once I saw that need, I couldn't erase that from my mind. So I've worked in public health from there on out. Fascinating. Michelle, what brought you to the world of dentistry? Honestly, I think when I was in about eighth grade, my dad was reading a book, and he told me that I should go into dentistry. So throughout high school, I job shadowed an oral surgeon here in town, orthodontist in town. And I had always had really good experiences, even through getting fillings and stuff as a kid. I'd always had really good experiences with my dentist. And so I just getting into the field and just doing a lot of observing and throughout high school. So really, that's when I decided to be a dentist and just kind of took the path. Awesome. Thank you for joining us today, Jenna and Michelle. We'll take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about dental health and oral health. 
Let's Talk is brought to you through Go Oshkosh Kids partnership with the Women's Fund of Oshkosh. The Women's Fund of Oshkosh works to improve the lives of women, girls, and families of the communities in Winnebago County through philanthropy, grant making, and education. Michelle, what do parents need to know when they have babies and their first teeth? When is the recommendation for a first visit? And what should we be doing at home until then? I mean, I think even as a baby, even before they get teeth, I think it's important for parents to get in there and keep their baby's mouths clean. They make all kinds of you know, infant toothbrushes and things like that. I usually tell people even just a thin washcloth on their finger to just get in there and clean Clean their baby's mouths will help you know, kind of establish those really good habits as kids are getting older. Of course, once they get teeth, making sure they're brushing their teeth. And then really not putting their kids to bed with bottles, especially once they have teeth. So that milk sitting in their mouth is going to cause a lot of decay or soda or anything other than water is going to can cause decay on their teeth. So just making sure that they're not going to bed with that with a bottle at nighttime. I didn't realize this, and my kids aren't even that little anymore. They're 10, but that's why those regular dentist appointments were important for us. But my 10-year-old isn't brushing on top of her gums. Like, oh, she's yes. just brushing her teeth part. Mm-hmm. Is that pretty common? Brushing Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think that spot where your gums and your teeth touch together is a really common spot for plaque and germs to build up. So we always tell patients to kind of angle their toothbrush right into that connection point to try to brush out the germs and there's like a little pocket there even that collects even more so yes that's good advice I can <laughs> add a little bit too to Absolutely. the baby oral health so one I think uncommon fact that people don't know is that the that babies aren't born with the germs that cause cavities but that it's transmissible so it's important for parents to address their own oral health like prior to having a baby because you could transfer that bacteria if you have like active cavities mm. through like really normal activities like sharing a spoon or kissing your baby or like cleaning off a pacifier with your mouth and popping it in their mouth, like those type of things that you would do normally as a parent. If you have active cavities, you're kind of transferring and introducing that bacteria that causes cavities to your baby's mouth. Wow. So almost like transferring a cold. Yeah, right. So that's really? kind of like unknown to many, Very many people. Very fact. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I've never, never heard that. Talk to us about, both of you or either one of you, about the sucking your thumb, pacifier conversation, you know, those soothing type things that we all do with our kids. Like, how bad really is it? Or is it not as bad as some of us think it is? I think that's definitely a common habit. All of my kids have had pacifiers and loved them. <laughs> so definitely a common theme that comes up in conversations with parents. And I think I say try to kick the habit between two and three because your teeth will adapt and adjust after that fact if you're removing that object from their mouth eventually. So I think it's okay and it's an important habit that kids use for soothing. So I try not to discourage it. We do say don't dip it, dip pacifiers in anything sweet or sugary because that sometimes happens in certain cultures too. So we we advise against that. What else would you say? And I tell patients all the time, you just... You can't take it away from them. I mean, they need that important coping skills for them with soothing. Pacifiers are a little easier to take away than a thumb. Mm-hmm. But if a kid needs a pacifier to go to bed at night, you know, let them use it and maybe take it out before, like, before you go to bed if you check on them. So they're not sucking on it all night long. Mm-hmm. So if that constant pressure of the thumb or the pacifier on the roof of their mouth is eventually what's going to cause their teeth to narrow, their palate to narrow, and can cause more dental issues. But you know, age two to three is very normal age. I mean, I, my older two, I think I was a little more of a firm parent and I just stopped them at age one, pretty cold turkey and 
they cried it out and you know then they learned other coping methods and it was fine as the kids get older it's a little harder I think to remove it and to get them to take it away so my third child took my babysitter to convince her a little after the age of two to get rid of it, and then she was fine. But so each, you know, kind of whatever works for you. Um, but, yeah, the sooner the better. Don't want the kids walking around with pacifiers sucking their thumbs constantly. That's that constant pressure is what's going to cause the problems. I'm glad you said that because I do remember I had a lot of rules before I had children about what I was not going to do, and having a pacifier was one of those rules. And then I don't remember a lot when they were little, except for the long nights. And that pacifier, I think, was popped in that first day when we're like, yeah, first day home probably. Somebody gave me the advice, and I think it's still one of the funnest things we ever did. But we packed both my kids. We packed up all the pacifiers in the house. They were about two, two and a half, maybe. Packed them all up, put them in a little bag, and took them to the hospital for the new babies. Aww, that's a and good so idea. I like called the hospital and said, "I will be walking in with my child in a bag. <laughs> you will please take the bag <laughs> and throw it away after we leave." And the kids still remember that they passed their pacifiers on to the new babies. Aww. Yeah, I mean, I have. I think my neighbors have done where they take the pacifier and they do a build a bear and they put it inside. You know, so I think oh. there's lots of different things that are just kind of you, the kids will really remember and. You know, whatever that is motivated, you know, whatever the kids are motivated by. You know, some kids have to you cut the pacifier, you hide them, or just little by little take them away. Or the pacifier fairy comes and takes it. Oh, and so there's all kinds of different things that people do, and they work. And you just kind of have to find what works for your kid. The worst part <laughs> is when you find that, like, one that one better in the yes. toy box right after you've got <laughs> resurfaces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, yep, undoubtedly, yep, the little three-year-old's walking out with it in their mouth, right? <laughs> So I have a question, because I feel like you can't get away from it in the world. Sugar, like juice boxes and sugar, seems to be in everything, and we're both working parents in our household and trying to monitor what my kids eat. Even now, my kids are 15 and 7. I feel like every single thing has sugar in it. So, mm-hmm. like, can you guys address... Is that as bad as we all think it is or not as bad as we think it is? I would say yes, it's everywhere. And part of it too is like carbohydrates, right? More than more than even just sugar. So like fermentable carbohydrates like goldfish and pretzels and chips, like those are a big culprit for cavities because they kind of sit and hang out in your teeth as a child eats them. So a couple of things to combat it. We talk about frequency of eating versus what you're eating sometimes so like the two cookie example would be say you eat two cookies right now that's like a 20 minute acid attack on your teeth if you eat one cookie now and one 20 minutes later that's like 40 minutes of acid exposure in your mouth so thinking about okay we're going to have three meals and two snacks today and keep the meals like on a routine schedule like that and then only water in between if you're gonna if you give your children anything with sugar in drink format, I would say that would only be with a meal, so they finish it and it's done. Don't put that like in a sippy cup and have them walk around with juice during the day because you keep getting that exposure over and over again. And then water after sugar is like my mantra, like water after sugar, water <laughs> after sugar. So if you can, even if you can't brush at school, like have a drink of water and rinse your mouth out after lunch a little bit to kind of rebuffer the pH in your mouth and get back to a healthy level. No, I was just trying to think if there was anything else that I would... I mean, I think even just snacks, too. I'm just those, those hard, crunchy things are hard. Cheeses are, is always a good thing. You're sending your kids lunch, have them eat, like, the cheese at the end. That can be neutralizing and cleansing of the teeth. Apples, carrots, things like that can be good last items for them to eat in their lunches or snack time as well. Which transitions kind of into that, like, okay, we have school-aged kids, right? We've been brushing their teeth 
since they were a baby now, then how do we encourage that that healthy dental health or continuing to brush? I think my kids know they have to brush, but I think they still ask every night, are you sure we need to? <laughs> are you sure? Why do we have to do this? <laughs> are you sure? Yeah, so at nighttime, it's really when your mouth is a little bit more dry. You're not drinking, you're not eating, so it's not going to neutralize those acids in your mouth. So that's really when those cavities are going to form. So, you know, ideally, kids, everyone should be brushing morning and night. Most important time is going to be at nighttime. So, I mean, I've, I've honestly made my kids get out of bed um, to brush. And so I just really reestablishing that. So even my kids you know, ask me most nights, and I tell them every single night to brush and floss. But I, you're really just making sure that that is an expectation and that we follow up on it. Now I don't have to do it quite as much with my 13-year-old. So she is pretty good with getting in there and brushing and not always flossing, but just making sure that we're really consistent with that because that is when they're gonna, those cavities are going to start to form and periodontal disease will start progressing as well as, as they get older. And I have heard there's a, like two minutes. Is that, is that the secret? The two minutes is how long you should be brushing? Or is that just a myth? Two minutes is really what it's going to take to really effectively brush and remove all that bacteria. There's a lot of, I, you know, most kids don't really know the concept of two minutes. So I'll tell them to, you know, turn on their favorite song on their Alexa or or their phone or whatever it is that they have. There's a lot of different even brushing apps out there that will kind of walk you through the mouth and all the different areas of the mouth. I also really encourage parents to make sure so kids really don't have the dexterity to get in there and brush effectively brush their teeth until probably about eight so making sure that parents are getting in there and getting all those areas that their kids are missing is really important as well what about the fluoride rinses like do you like do you recommend those things i do i'm just with all the sugars the kids are eating the fluoride at nighttime is going to help to remineralize areas on their teeth that are starting to break down so fluoride rinse right before there's the last thing before they go to bed is really helpful in helping to remineralize their teeth. One thing to add to that too, this is like a really simple tip, but a lot of people rinse their mouth out after they brush, but it's helpful not to rinse or not to like use water right after because then you remove that fluoride that would be great sitting on your teeth throughout the night, right? So don't rinse right after you brush. After you brush. I mean, you could use fluoride rinse, but don't rinse with water. But don't rinse with water or anything Right, right. That's neat. So a tip that I heard years ago, and it just sticks with me, was somebody had said the normal citizen parent does not understand how important dental care health is to your whole body's health. I'm not explaining it great, but, you know, your stomach health, your headaches, and things like that. Do either of you have comments on is that accurate or, you know, is that a true statement? If we were to do a better job of taking care of our oral health, would we maybe all around be feeling better? Jenna, do you want to answer sure. that first? I 100% agree with that. I think there's a growing body of evidence that shows the connections between oral health and overall health in all of the areas you mentioned. It's very interconnected and key. I mean, for instance, say a patient has uncontrolled diabetes and they also have gum or periodontal disease, it's harder to control their diabetes because of the inflammation process going on in their mouth as well. So they're showing connections between that heart disease, pregnancy, could go on and on with <laughs> all of the connections. It's never ending. And of course, I mean, if a, if a child has a cavity that's not, you know, that's sitting in their mouth and become, you know, gets infected, that infection in anywhere in your body isn't good. So periodontal disease and gum disease is a type of infection in your mouth. Decay is infection in, in the tooth. So having infection in your body anywhere isn't great. For some reason, we 
feel like if it doesn't hurt sometimes that it's not going to couldn't be problematic but that infection can go to other areas in your body so it's always important to have any sort of disease or infection taken care of and controlled mm-hmm. there's i don't know if you've all heard of the story of diamante driver have you heard that name before this is a tragic story actually but he was a 12 year old from maryland who had an abscess tooth and the mother un- was unsuccessful in trying to find a dentist to treat the so they went to the emergency room. He ended up going through two surgeries and like six weeks in the hospital. And here the infection, it spread to his brain. The infection from the tooth spread to his brain. He ended up passing away from like a preventable tooth infection that would have been resolved essentially by like an $80 extraction. So it was a really unfortunate catalyst to a lot of good things that have happened around the country, trying to advocate for early access and just recognizing how important it is to establish oral health early on in life really helps set up a child for a lifetime of oral health. Hey, it's Marlo. I'm the guy behind the board, and I had a quick question for you guys. Yeah, so I have a child at home that has a difficult time using toothpaste because of the flavor or taste. We've been told by our dentist that water is okay right now, just as long as they're doing something. But at some point, they're going to need to use toothpaste, right? Do you have any tips or recommendations as to what they can do to encourage them to use toothpaste? Or is there, are there different kinds of toothpaste that they can find that aren't in stores? I have one kid that has a mint toothpaste and one that has the Tom's strawberry one. Mm-hmm. And strawberries. They, <laughs> they won't try the other. Or they have said they've tried the other one, but they, yeah, they don't like the other ones. I don't know when you have to transition Like, do you have to do a mint toothpaste? So no, I mean, really, the most important thing is getting in there with the toothbrush. So whether a kid doesn't want to use toothpaste because of the flavor, the texture, you know, there's all kinds of different reasons. Like, just for whatever reason, they're just afraid of it. I mean, I the the biggest thing is getting in there with the toothbrush and manipulating that bacteria so it's not sitting on the teeth. So some things I've had patients try, you know, using a fluoride rinse, maybe just dipping the toothbrush in the fluoride rinse. And so there is something just starting to introduce. There's lots of different flavors of fluoride rinses out there. And there's tons of toothpaste out there. So Tom's, and Tom's does have some that have fluoride in, so that's a little bit more natural, but they seem to have a lighter flavor. So the Tom's, the strawberry Tom's, is a really popular one for patients that don't like the minty stuff. There's some that are just sensitivity toothpaste, sometimes just have a lighter flavor. So I think sometimes kids... Even like that, my my three year old likes a sensitivity toothpaste when she uses toothpaste, but she doesn't always like it either. So I think you know it's not super important. The biggest thing is just getting in there and manipulating that bacteria, brushing and flossing. It's not super important. Um, I have a, some adults that don't use toothpaste because of you know they're really big gaggers and like sudsing up toothpaste in there makes them gag really bad. So the first time I heard about that was when I was pregnant. I, I couldn't handle toothpaste when I was pregnant. It, I just gagged so much. There's some products out, some um, toothpaste too, the, like dry mouth ones, especially that don't have that SLS that causes the sudsing in there. So sometimes that's helpful as well, just finding a toothpaste without the SLS in it. So I have a question as they progress, as children get older, like Amanda and my children are a little older, what are the signs you see to send them to orthodontists or what are the signs you see to take them to that next phase of or their appropriate age where they should go to see, you know, for braces or all that, or what, what are your mid-level kids, what advice do you have for them? So our orthodontists like to see kids around age seven or eight for their initial evaluation. 
So they a lot of times still have a lot of baby teeth at that time, but they are really just starting to watch their growth patterns to see when a good time would be for orthodontic treatment. At that age, for some of those kids that maybe use their pacifiers, sucked their thumb for a while, that's a really great age to do some jaw expansion and create more space as well. Mm-hmm. So we send our kids, most kids over to the orthodontist, you know, usually about seven or eight, and do those initial evaluations. And a lot of times they're monitored, you know, every six months to a year just to watch their growth patterns before any treatment is actually done. But it's a great way to just kind of evaluate and see if they're going to benefit from orthodontic treatment later on. Wow, so you can actually do like pre-care for, mm-hmm. with orthodontic yeah, work. Absolutely. And so I, I find that with doing like, so if they can do some jaw expansion and stuff, now I'm not an orthodontist, that's not my specialty by any means. But, you know, when it's, it seems kind of early to send them over that, you know, to the orthodontist that young, it can help to create more space so it prevents maybe more permanent teeth extractions in the future. Mm-hmm. We create space for that now when, they're, when their jaws are still growing. And it's helpful for planning. Dental care, we understand, is not super cheap. So being able to plan for orthodontic treatment later on, if it's you know, five years down the road, you can start saving now, and that's helpful rather than getting a really big bill at one time. I really appreciate like having that advocate for your kids and getting in to the dentist you know, twice a year. Sometimes it's like, do we really need to do this? But they bring up things that I don't know, just to have that open conversation for certain things, like, yeah, how their teeth are starting to come in. We've had those conversations every time before we leave. Evie, my daughter, has a bump under her tooth. She has a block in her salivary gland. So we had surgery on that a couple weeks ago, and they referred us to somebody else. But they're the ones that recognized it when they were cleaning her teeth, and then Evie had been complaining about it hurting, and I was kind of like the mom that was like, you're fine, it'll be okay. And they like validated that and we were able to go see a specialist after that. So like that you just see things that we don't, I mean, I don't look in my kid's mouth that often, right? Unless there's an issue, but going into the dentist twice a year and you are able to catch those things I think is invaluable. And I think just in general, hearing some tips and tricks of keeping your teeth clean and healthy, your mouth clean and healthy, I think sometimes just comes Coming from someone else, um, it's just a good reinforcement for parents as well, for their kids. Most kids don't love to listen to their parents, you know, nag on them all the time. So, you know, just hearing it so oftentimes, I'll have parents kind of pull me aside, you know, when their kid is in the room and they'll talk to me first and just say, hey, can you just reinforce, make sure that you tell them that brushing with their electric brush is really important or make sure that they're getting in there for two minutes or flossing is really important. And so it's just another person to help reinforce those really good habits in, uh, in their children. Just not always coming from the parents can be really helpful as well. I think that kind of brings me back to the idea of middle schoolers too because one of the programs that we lead at the Children's Health Alliance is called Seal a Smile and it's a statewide school-based sealant program to bring dental care to the schools statewide. And I've worked firsthand in that for many, many years. And one of the common themes we see is in middle school that oral health often takes a bit of a dive and just so much plaque on the kids' teeth. And so I think that is really important at that age just to encourage them from someone who's maybe not a parent to just give your teeth a good scrub before bed. Mm-hmm. It makes a world of difference. And maybe that's all you do I'm glad that you're at least doing that. <laughs> so I'm like the worst role model there is for this question, but oh, I guess dentists sometimes, I don't know, scares me a little bit, but what would you have any tricks for kids or do you see kiddos like are not afraid yet of going to the dentist or being treated and, and it's the parents and the adults that make that situation worse or what, what do you see there? 
I think part of it is the early exposure to the dental environment. So like the age one dental visitor, when their first tooth erupts, if you're bringing them in then, which is a perfect time to bring them in, they're only in the mouth for like a minute. The dentist is looking for a moment, but it's a lot about like hearing the noises and being in the environment and helping with education with the parents. So I think that early exposure is really helpful. One of the other projects we do is trying to integrate medical or dental, dental hygienists into medical clinics to see kids during the well-child visit. So then they're being seen more frequently and having someone in their mouth early on. So I think that early exposure really sets a solid foundation for being more comfortable at the dentist. And prevention is so much easier than treatment in many in many ways. So if we can invest in that early on, that's a, that's a solid foundation for oral health. Absolutely. So a lot of adults have had some poor experiences and they that does transfer over to your kids. So if you're telling constantly talking about how how scared you are to go to the dentist and how you know how all these scary things that we use that you're going to get a shot or you're going to any of that those are not really comforting words for kids so if someone knows and recognizes in themselves that they have a lot of dental anxiety maybe sending someone else with your child to the dentist is a good idea or just trying to really withhold a lot of your own emotions because you know if we can do a lot of prevention with kids you know getting them in the chair just getting them used to us brushing their teeth or get someone else looking in their mouth, they can have really good experiences. But most of that, a lot of that um, anxiety that we see in kids really stems from the parents. And I see when I bring kids back, if we do have to do a filling, the kids that are most difficult to work on are the ones that have the parents sitting in the room, maybe a little bit overbearing, constantly asking the kid if they're feeling okay and if that hurt or anything like that because that's putting those ideas into their child's head like oh this should be hurting this should be uncomfortable or I shouldn't be doing okay so if they just let us do our job and either stay in the corner sitting there or in the waiting room is really helpful in creating a better experience for their kids in the in the dental chair as well yeah so it sounds like trust the professionals there and let them do their yeah like you said let them do their job how do, is there a rule, like, when parents should sit in the waiting room or go back with their kids, or is there, like, a... There's some dentists that don't allow ki- parents mm-hmm. out, right? It depends parents. on the dentist. So, I, ha- I mean, I have parents that will come back, you know, into their kids' teenage years. That's fine, you know, as long as the kids are comfortable with that. I, me personally, at my practice, we don't mind parents coming back, just because I have a hard time saying no, don't. But there have been times that if we, if we know that the kid may have a little bit of anxiety coming back, we, it's, we would encourage a parent to stay in the waiting room, just because I think we can treat their child more effectively. But so I don't, I wouldn't say in my practice, we don't have, you know, there's not a specific rule, but there are, you would see definitely at a lot of specialty offices, they a lot of times wouldn't have the parents come back, like a pediatric dental office. And sometimes just seeing, you just, as a parent sitting back and seeing things happen to your child is harder than what's actually happening to your child. So it's, I think it just makes it that little, that behavior management a little bit easier. So I think, yeah, just totally depends on the office. They did ask our dentist last time if they still take out wisdom teeth, if that's like a normal practice. I would yeah. say it is. I mean, often they're hard to clean and they're, they cause more crowding than good. So I think it's still pretty common practice if I mean, that's the case. Absolutely. We have kids as early as age 14 having their wisdom teeth out and at the specialist. So once those the roots are, so we kind of watch that on the um, x-rays that we take, especially the panoramic x-rays. So once the roots are starting to form, usually about three-fourths of the way formed is when we'll 
refer them over to the oral surgeon to have them taken out. They'll heal, kids heal a lot faster when they're in those teen years. So healing time is usually a lot reduced versus if you wait until you're in your 20s or 30s and start having some issues, then it's a little bit more of a complex extraction typically. We talked about whole body health. Is is there are, there, are there issues that are hereditary? Like I have a friend that says, I just had horrible dental health and my kids have horrible teeth. We're always cavity prone. Like, is that is that a myth or is that true? Or does that go back to like just cycling? Yeah, I think part of it, I mean, I never want to disregard someone's belief if they think there's like a hereditary thing with teeth. So I think part of it does go back to the transfer of bacteria. So like if you did have poor oral health and you had a baby and then that bacteria was transferred, that in some ways is kind of genetic, that transmissibility of the disease process. There are some genetic conditions that could be passed down that affect the way that teeth form as well. What are your thoughts? I mean, I was going to say sometimes just like the shape of the teeth can so you can make teeth things more difficult to keep clean. So there's definitely can be a genetic factor, but a lot of it is just the habits that we establish. So if a parent has really poor oral hygiene, they probably aren't going to encourage really great oral hygiene in their children. Or if a parent has really poor eating habits, they're probably not going to pass along really great eating habits to their children. So some of it is is that. So even if you do have even the genetic factors that would be, you know, some of the bacteria shape of the teeth, you know, different conditions that someone can have, you can still prevent decay. Just a lot of it with that education piece, which again goes back to kids maybe getting into the dental office a little bit earlier, where we can discuss some of those things with the parents, depending on what we're seeing as, as teeth are developing. I like overcrowding and braces. Like, is that pretty, if you had braces, your kids likely to have them? Or? I would, I mean, a lot of, yeah, the jaw, the shape of the jaw, the size of the jaw, a lot of that is going to be genetic, so, and that definitely would play a role based on parents, you know, depending on their parents, if they have a lot of crowding, a lot of times we're going to see that in the kids as well. This is really great. Having a path to follow for health care for kids is so helpful for parents. I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation and the ideas from today with our listeners on our website and social media. As always, after our episodes, we'll share all the things that we talked about today, along with local resources available to families in our community. We'll talk about more ideas for Oshkosh area families in the coming months with our local experts. And in the meantime, visit GoOshkoshKids.com and our Facebook page to continue this conversation. Thanks again to our guests, Jenna and Michelle, for sharing their time and knowledge with us. And thanks to our producer, Liz Schultz, audio and video engineer, Marlo Ambus, and of course to my co-host, Carlene Grabner, and the support of the Women's Fund of Oshkosh. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in, and we'd love for you to share the episode with a friend, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, or leave us a review. Let's talk again next month.